I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I run hip hop by the numbers on Twitter. I use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. No, I'm director of the Fifth Element. While I highlight Fifth Element hip hop, which is knowledge. Hey, old fat girl, come here. You ticklish? Yeah, I called you fat. Look at me, I'm skinny. And it'll never stop me from getting busy. Oh. <laughs> Sticking in digits. <laughs> Yeah, bro. Oh, fuck. How long have you spent on that? <laughs> Two seconds. <laughs> oh, man. We have a prodigy in the mix. That sounded... That was Humpty. Oh. That was Humpty. Uh, no, 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 no. No, don't guess. Don't guess. Oh, man. I know the recipe, right? I think it's like... It's like, Char- it's like Charles Barkley, if you guys ever heard Charles Barkley, but just like more cartoonish. It, it just... I I get big Charles Barkley vibes from that. It's like it's like Ernie, Ernie, churlish. That's nice. You know I mean, it's, and then and then and then you then you cartoon up a bit. Hey, hey yo, I'm skinny. <laughs> put some put some put some sex on it. Put, hey, I'm skinny. <laughs> There's a lot of sex on it. You got to put a lot of sex on but, it. That's the key hat. ingredient, man. There's sex some, packet. <laughs> some stanking. Some stank. Yeah, shout out the top five. This is going to be like the second time I mentioned top five in like the past couple of weeks. But put put some stank on it. Stank. Put some stank on it. Okay. Hi Ben. <laughs> Hi Ben. Huh? How you doing? Huh? How's your week been? Huh? Uh, this to this week. Huh? Well, you're gonna you're gonna transition from that to this because uh, <clears throat> I'm gonna go straight yes. to, to DJ Khaled because. <clears throat> So I wrote my <laughs> review before I even listened to the album. <laughs> I wrote my review before I even listened to the album, and this is what I wrote. All right, I wrote the problem is Khaled isn't trying to make the best possible project. He's trying yes. to make the biggest possible project. So we get huge, overblown songs Pointless. that sound like outros to Disney movies, and a lot of the time it doesn't hit because he tries to do it on every song. So artists are giving him throwaway verses, right? Because there's no reason for them to give their top tier. It's not their project, and I doubt he's paying them hundreds of thousand dollars for the verse. So we get Hove and Nas dropping their version of Mid with a video that looks like it cost a million to make. It's a total mismatch. So I wrote that before I even listened to the album because I just assumed that would be correct. Timeless. As soon as I put the album on, it was 100% true. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I'd written a review without listening to the album, and it came 100% true. And, ah, bro, this album, man. So the guests, right, between them have sold 1.4 billion units, 71 number one albums, 44 number one songs, 134 top 10 albums, 184 top 10 songs. And they've spent 400 cumulative years on the Billboard chart. And oh, the shit. This is what we get. This Charlie's giving us the answer to why. It's just, what the fuck is this? Why? Timeless. Why does he do this? Like, I just don't understand. He tries to create something grand and epic and amazing and timeless. and, and Don King of and music. It's cut from a different cloth and all this. But we end up just getting mid- Total mid. Unmatched. Absolute mid. And uh, it's just so disappointing, man. Not mid. It's just so disappointing. <laughs> Better than Igor. 
<laughs> yeah, fuck that mysterious music. Oh my mysterious day. music, bro. This is the problem. Like, oh, what is he doing? And look, the whole problem is, I think that oh. Carlin gets into this little echo chamber with all these very rich, powerful, famous friends, and they're all like, yeah, "Yes, man, we're into it. We'll do it, man. We're good. We'll do it." And then they just give him total mid tier because there's no there's no motivation for them to give him top tier. Why would they do that? Surely he's not paying them. The samples on this album alone would have cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Listen to the sample. Is crazy the amount of samples on here, and <laughs> for for Carlin apparently. So we just get, I don't know what we get. What's the point? I don't understand the point of these albums. Like, ah, oh, I don't know, man. Major Key was good. This is this is not good. So yeah, that's Classic. the DJ. That's the DJ Carlin review. And uh, Charlie, thanks for the ad living there. I mean, that kind of gives us a bit of a clue as to why it can be genuine. So anyway, we'll move onwards to uh, Mudmouth by Yellow Wolf. Flawless. Oh, sorry. <laughs> if you're going to do this through the whole pod, that's going to be wild. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but that's the thing. We do an hour and a half pod. That's how long the album is. That's how You have to sit through that. Is it really? Oh, my oh, god! It's probably an hour, man. It might not be an hour and a half, but like it's got to be an hour at least. It's like 18 songs on there. Jesus Christ. Anyway, Mudmouth by Yellow Wolf. Uh, so things are getting a bit weird with, with Yellow Wolf at the moment. Uh, this one was a real head-scratcher. There's there's a very little in the way of consistency to me. It kind of feels like a demo tape. Some really weird parts, like Losers Win Again. Oh, what that one was. That, that felt like a parody song, but I don't think it was. Then there's like Old Country, like Doghouse. He's gone down the country route before, of course, and you know I wish him all the best on that path, but I'm I'm not going to be joining him on it. I think that Yellow Wolf is a really talented musician and I've seen a lot of people praising this. So it's definitely working for people. So that's great news. It's just not probably not my vibe. I think it's his fourth project in a row in four weeks. So maybe he'll drop again next week. I don't know. Uh, Cadence we- Weapon, Parallel World. I haven't been tapped into Cadence Weapon since uh, 2012 when he did that track with Buck 65. You can't stop the machine. But I used to love his, his earlier work. And this project is exactly what I'd expect from him in 2021. Contemporary relevant beats, very, very frank observations on life, a lot of questions and and searches for guidance and understanding. It's all hidden behind some really inventive flows and some experimental sections. I love his voice. It always centers each project. He might change his inflections up a lot, uh, but it sounds like a constant force, his voice. And it's a solid album. Uh, Locksmith, The Lock Sessions Volume 2, if you're going to have Exhibit, Raskas, Crook, uh, Chris Webby, and Atmosphere on your album, it's got to be fire. It does have to be fire, and it's fire. It's too long. 62 minutes, I felt, was too long. But the beats are fiery. Uh, Locksmith sounds brilliant. Fast. Uh, he's assured. He kind of molds to every beat. All the production on here goes. It's a very good listen, I would recommend. Alchemist, this thing of ours. I almost feel like I know Alchemist, like he's my friend. You know, like I've watched so much Fuck That's Delicious. I just want him to win all the time. He's a nice guy and he makes great music. And I heard this a few weeks ago, actually, and it sounded amazing. It still is. Four tracks and then the instrumentals of the other four. Uh, you know, Alchemist is one of those producers who I honestly feel has done the, the underground a huge service. He's a legend, right? And he could work with just about anyone at this point. And the sound he's creating is the exact sound of the underground. You know, Baldy, Earl, Maxo... Uh, Rock Marciano, Mac Homie, Griselda, uh, his Rolodex, but his, think about his Rolodex, right? It's got Nas, Snoop Dogg, 50 Cent, Nelly, Jadakiss, Eminem, Lil Wayne, Fabulous, Schoolboy Q, Kendrick, 
Jay-Z, writ- on a written testimony, he did this, right? He, he dropped the kind of album, this kind of album, and no one got it at first, me included. But a few more projects like that, I, I really think people will start to gravitate towards these kind of projects in the mainstream, and we might start seeing some mainstream, the mainstream sorry, success for these kind of artists. Uh, finally, Moray Street Sermons. Uh, it's just a massive Rod Wave vibe from this album, and in a good way, in a good way. I really love it. I loved Rod Wave's Soulfly, and I really like this project. A lot of tortured energy on here, and I love tortured energy. So I appreciate Moray dipping into his struggle for us and, and delivering us some truth from it. So that was my my week. What about yours, Charlie? <sighs> uh, I'm a bit tired from all that. Uh... Well, that's the thing. I mean, think about how much effort DJ Khaled puts into these albums. Like, you're you're shitting on him, but it's hard work, right? No days off. Yeah, yeah, no days off. No days off. Um, Start of my week. Uh, Flying Lotuses, Yasuke. If you guys uh, don't know, he's executive produced and obviously soundtracked uh, a new anime uh, on Netflix called Yasuke. And uh, he's delivered a uh, original soundtrack as well, going along with it. Um, and this is so clean. This is so just epically clean. Uh, the mixtures, the, like Flying Lotus's palette is just absurd. Like it's just absurd. There are so many flavors in this album. Like I thought, right, it would just be you know some, uh, you know some Flying Lotusisms and like. Uh, you know, just the uh, traditional Japanese, you know, sounds like that, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, and while, while there are a couple of songs that, you know, go down that route, bro, there's like retro wave, synth wave, there's a bit of hip-hop in here, there's a bit of trap in here, jazz, like, it's just, oh, it's epic, man, it's, it's stupid. And the, and the, you know, there's a couple of features in here as well, got Thundercat, uh, Denzel Curry as well, uh, featuring as well. It's just, uh, it's just a real nice listen. It's a real, really cinematic at some points. Like just, uh, I don't know, some some of the tracks come off so grand and just so, just just so epic. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it just goes all over. It's everywhere, and it, it's just, it just really, um, as you know, as all of uh, Flying Lotus's work does, just. Um, exaggerates how uh large his uh palette is in as in terms to in terms of what music he i guess listened to consumes but the, just the stuff he can do like there's so many things on here it's not just like you know a japanese whatever and there's some stuff like that but damn it's just so much more man there's so much to eat so much to chew on here love it <clears throat> I'm gonna need to take a hail after this. Uh, um, J period, J period presents story to tell chapter one. It's a little EP, and I'm assuming there's gonna be more chapters uh, coming soon. Uh, you got Dave Chappelle, Black Thought, Tiffany Goucher on one track. Jamel Hill, shout out to Jamel coming through. Uh, Crazy Legs, uh, Joel Ortiz and Lin Manuel Miranda come on one track. It's so I'm I'm saying cinematic again, but it's really worthy of it because it just comes off. Obviously, by the title of the EP, story to tell, you know, it's really it, literally the start of the the start of the thing is literally Dave Chappelle going, "I here's a book I'm going to read to you. Uh, when when this thing comes up, tr- turn the page." <laughs> it's like let's begin. It's really, it really, it's really inviting. It's super inviting. 
uh, Jamel comes through with like commentary on a basketball game is coming through. Oh yeah, Masego comes on through the next track and it's like uh, it's like him and J period having a basketball game in some ways. Like visually, you can see it, uh, but Masego is just going off. Um, they have a Toronto artist, if, uh, if I remember correctly. I forget dude's name. I'm going to try and look up right quick, see if I can get that mention off, because uh, I think that's worthy. Uh, Shad, yep, Shad's there as well. Bobito Garcia's here as well for the uh, for the interlude on El Gran Combo. combo. Uh, that's real nice. And yeah, it just, it, tra- it travels, it traverses New York in, like, such a visual way. And, like, you can, like, smell them... I don't know, in the shop and, you know, ordering a El Gran Combo and, like, them, you know, Pobito and Crazy Legs dapping each other up. It's just great. It's just absolutely amazing. Uh, the last track really gives you a tease to the next part of it, which is a setting in, a, a like, a blues uh, blues bar, a jazz cafe kind of element. Uh, so I can't wait for chapter two, um, definitely. Uh, the Alchemist thing, this thing of ours. Yeah, man, I can't really say much uh, from... Uh, uh, echoing what you said, uh, your sentiments. Uh, solid EP, uh, great instrumentals coming through. Obviously, the last four are instrumentals of the first four, and uh, everyone on the features just come through uh, with uh, you know just some good heat. Uh, you know, L Baldy, it's all good in the hood. I can't complain. Solid sideshow, Pink Sifu, Maxo, uh, Navy Blue. Yeah, it's all good, man. Can't complain. Solid EP. Uh, Marcus Machado, Aquarius Purple. So this is his debut album. Um, obviously, if you uh, the you may have heard this name from uh, Channel Thirteen, which we mentioned, uh, with uh, obviously um, Ferro Monch leading leading that front, and Marcus Machado was the uh, guitarist on that album. And uh, yeah, if you like some guitar work on here with some uh, drums in the background, this is your album. It's super jazzy, bluesy, rocky. Uh, it just goes everywhere with it. Um, some great vocals here and there. Uh, solid album, love it. Uh, XV with a back with another one, another three, a three for three in three weeks. Uh, this one's called Roots, and uh, the first track is like five minutes long. It's just really, uh, it's got some real good depth in it. I really enjoy um, XV in this kind of bag. Uh, yeah, five five minutes, and um, yeah, I, w- I wish he'd do that more often. Uh, it's really, it really goes in for that long on one track, and I, I really like that they just sat with it, uh, sat with that one, as a real good track. Uh, Porter Robinson, Nurture. So, I listened to this on a whim, uh, I saw I saw that he dropped it, and I was just like, you know what, why not? Because I listened to uh, Medeon, and I really enjoy Medeon's work, and he did a project with Porter Robinson a few years ago, and I really enjoyed it. So, you know, I saw this drop, and I was like, you know what, go for it, let's, let's give you a listen. It's some really... Like floaty, uh, yeah, really, really floaty EDM pop kind of thing going on. Uh, there's, it's, there's not many. Uh, there's, you know, there's a few tracks. It's very balanced, actually. I'd say so. You know, there's a couple of tracks that make you just, you know, wanna, I don't know, put the top down off your car if you can do that. <laughs> I wonder how many people actually have convertibles in their in their lives because I don't know anybody actually has a convertible. Anyway, um. But we always give that top-down attitude to it. Uh, yeah, pull the top-down. It's like, nobody, nobody ever does it. Nobody has it, anyway. Um, yeah, so it's a real it's a real airy album. It's a real floaty. It's like just flying through the clouds. You know, really 
ghostly vocals uh, coming through. And yeah, it's just a real, it's a real nice listen. You can really get lost in it. It's great for the background, I'd I say. It's a, yeah, it's a very solid project. Really enjoyed it. And lastly, uh, Rachel Chinariri, uh, Four Degrees in Winter. Uh yeah man this this you you'd like this Ben you'd like this EP it's it's very um it's very mellow very mellow and the word I give it is consistent um consistent in a lot of ways like the uh the production is very consistent it doesn't really deviate from this you know deep uh deep bass that is consistently in the background and Rachel comes through with some really uh um. I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to figure out the best word to describe it, but just like a, uh, a deep angelic kind of uh, f- uh, uh, pattern, I guess. And um, yeah, she doesn't exactly like you know blow the blow the lid off in terms of her vocals at any point. She just keeps it very consistent, and that's kind of what this project is to me. It's just a consistent flow of things going on. You know, some nice deep bass in the background going on. You know, obviously the, the, the instrumentals change a little bit from track to track, but not too much. It's very, it, it is super mellow and uh, yeah, man, it's a real, it's a real chill listen. It's a really chill listen. It's only 23 minutes, um, but yeah, man, shout out to Rachel Chino Riri, hailing from Croydon. Um, and we shall get into our topic of this episode which is a retrospective on Digital Underground. Obviously, uh, Shock G, the founder and leader of the group, passed away last week. And uh, as we said last week, uh, we were going to just come through uh, with this one. Obviously, what, uh, what better time to do it, I guess, in some ways. Not to sound morbid, but yeah. And um, yeah, I feel like it was just a really good opportunity to just like uh, sit with this. Because I, I like you, I think you said last week, Ben, that you haven't really listened to Digital Underground at all. And uh, it's kind of a similar place with me. So we're, we're going through something new here, uh, which is always interesting. Uh, one thing I want to begin with as a general thought is um, a kind of background on the history here uh, that I've mentioned before. I've probably mentioned before in, you know, just general hip-hop history, because in the, um, in the disco era in, uh, in the US, um, there was a, a kind of like a cry out for a certain set of people, and these set of people I'm going to mention is, uh, dis- DJs, basically, just, just, you know, general disco nightclub DJs, uh, where they really felt like they needed, uh, the songs that they had, the songs they had in rotation to be longer. Um, and the first person that pioneered this, um, in, in, if I'm correct, is uh, Donna Summer, obviously the queen of disco. Um, and she came through with a 12-minute mix of uh, one of her tracks, and that basically boomed for everybody. Everybody that wanted their shit in the nightclub gave the, gave everyone, like, you know, a fat mix of just, like, you know, of their tracks, and um, in the history of Shock G, uh, which I'm sure you'll uh, dip into Ben a little bit, is that uh, when I, I I read an obit from uh, uh, from a uh, Paul Thompson of Vulture last week on What's Good, and the one thing that came through to me, and especially came through when I was listening to this to his uh, to Digital Underground's work during the week, is that um, 
he uh, was originally a DJ, and he actually got fired from his first DJ gig when he was a teenager for playing a Parliament uh, track that was eight minutes, uh, I think it was like a like 15 minutes long or something, yeah, and uh, he only slot. had like... It was a five-minute yeah. slot, and he played a 15-minute mix. Yeah, five-minute slot, 15-minute mix, and obviously... Uh, I mean, I've I've been in radio, albeit not exactly professionally on a student radio basis. Uh, but they people like to take uh timing seriously on that front, and you know, that's fine. I get it. Uh, but yeah, he clearly just went, and eh, no, 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 I'm just gonna play the whole fifty minute mix. Yes. <laughs> so obviously he got care for that, and uh, I wanted to lay that as a foundation here because uh, when you get to the music, and hopefully you guys will. Obviously, when we do these retrospectives, hopefully you guys listen to the music as well. Um, you're, you, that's one. That's the one big thing you are going to notice. Um, obviously, the Parliament funkadelic uh, elements come straight through immediately when it comes to any of DU's music. Um, but also, just the other side of that of the uh, disco at this point in time of, of, of the start of Digital Underground, a bygone era. And uh, a Parliament Funkadelic, which, you know, this is another side of their um, of their influence, because obviously, you know, we've done <clears throat> a few general a few uh, episodes on uh, G Funk and artists that pioneered G Funk. Where the hell did you think they got the term G Funk from? They got it from P Funk. So <laughs> it's all it's all a coalesce. And uh, I find it just fascinating how someone like a Dre, like a DJ Quick or a Warren G took Parliament Funkadelic and made it into G-Funk. And on the other side, you know, a very similar time, uh, Shock G comes through, uh, settling down in the Bay Area and takes P-Funk. And I think he takes it in a much more purest form, um, which I find utterly fascinating uh but uh yeah i've laid that foundation uh just for just because that's why that's what i gleaned uh but yeah ben what what else have you got for us yeah i mean there's nothing like digital underground in the hip-hop space nothing else like you know you could call them a collective but i don't think that that term is is apt i would say they're more like an idea and i think that'd be much more accurate way to describe them so the group was the creation of the late, great, legendary Shock G. Now, Shock G was your typical prodigy. You know, when he was young, he played the drums, the piano, he could DJ, he could choreograph and create videos. His love of sampling came via cousin DJ Stretch and his friend MC Sharti. MC Sharti was actually in a parody hip-hop group, so that might have uh, given him some influence on the direction of Digital Underground as well. Now, Shock G actually formed a mobile DJ crew, and they would travel around performing parties, events, basically whatever you would need a DJ for. So it was basically the Uber Eats of hip-hop entertainment. And it was via these performances that uh, Shock G caught the attention of the programmer at a local R&B radio station. So Shock G actually became the youngest radio personality in Central Florida. He became a regular DJ on the station. And yeah, as, as Charlie said, he got fired because he played a 15-minute album version of Not Just Knee Deep by Funkadelic in a, in a five-minute time slot, which was legendary, but it wasn't great for Shock G's career prospects because he ended up then backpacking around the US because he was kicked out of home. Now, he would eventually return and study music theory, 
And it was through those studies he met founding member of Digital Underground, Kenneth Waters, and they became the Chill Factor. They also had a group called the Four Horsemen, which was expanded to include MC Scooby D and MD Dazzlin Doc P. I fucking love some of these names, man. So this still wasn't this still wasn't the formation of Digital Underground. So Shock G left Tampa around the age of eighteen. Uh, he was either eighteen or nineteen. I couldn't find information on that. But he went to LA to further his career, and he would play keyboards in a band before he eventually moved to San Francisco. And it, it seemed like he was pre- prepping himself to kind of create his opus. He said he learned to play instruments from copying famous records. And he recognized that hip-hop had a blind spot when it came to producers using actual instruments, playing instruments. And he lists Prince as a major influence in that. So it's important to note that Shock G saw Digital Underground as a rebellious, even militant outlet until Public Enemy came along. He actually said explicitly, PE was way better than us. So they pivoted into more comedic elements while still keeping their socially conscious message. So, I mean... You look at that, how pivotal that was. That was Digital Underground's selling point. They were hilarious, but at the same time, they were always giving socially conscious and political messages. And so the the fact that they got signed, Shock G said it was Chopmaster J who helped them a lot with getting signed and and getting on. Uh, He said, I was a salesman at a music store in 1987, and I recorded a couple of demos. I left the masters in Chopmaster's four-track cassette, he sent those tracks behind my back to his high school buddy who was working in LA at McCullough Records. The record company loved them and bought them out to record. So that wasn't even them getting on though because Shock G ended up quitting his job for that but to, to go do that. But he had to beg for it back because the label deal fell through. So eventually he met Antron Gregory who was around NWA and would later become Tupac's manager and Antron Gregory made it happen, got them signed and... That's where it all began. So, I mean, that story is, it's interesting. It's interesting. He's kind of like a traveling, I don't know, traveling musician, kind of like a session player, kind of like someone who was just bouncing around looking for opportunity and and waiting for opportunity to to knock. But what I got from that was a sense of he knew what he wanted to do. He knew the kind of music he wanted to create and the movement he wanted to create. And he was prepping for it the whole time. And it was really just waiting for the right opportunity to pop up and trying to put yourself in the right place so that when that opportunity comes, you're ready to strike. And that's ended up what what happened, man. And, and then obviously we get their debut album, Sex Packets. Yeah, Sex Packets. Um, obviously, uh, commercially, their uh, best album, quote-unquote. Um, I find this uh, just... <laughs> Obviously, it starts off with the Humpty Dance Rat, just to get that out of the way, uh, which is obviously iconic in a hell of a lot of ways. Uh, which is a, uh, it's just it's just a great uh, album to listen to. It's just it's just super fun. I it's it's so it just never takes itself seriously, um, which I thoroughly enjoy. Obviously, the one thing uh, that's worth noting, and I want to, I want to note this uh, just now, and uh, I will, I will say this for the first, I think, three projects, is that uh, <clears throat> there comes a, there's a lot of times where you're just like, I don't, I don't know how you guys listen to music, right? Everyone has their own way of doing things, but sometimes, but most of the time, when I'm like listening to these this music for like a, um, 
uh, retrospectives especially. Uh, I'm usually walking the dog at that point or I'm just out and about. Um, so I have my phone in my pocket and I'm listening to a song and I'm just like, how the fuck has this song not ended yet? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I know. I know that feeling with uh, Digital Underground. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for this one, I was listening on my laptop, so I, I saw how long they were. But like for for a couple of others, I was just like, bruv, is this song not ended yet? Like, so, you know, I, I, the, the first three songs are six minutes. Like, and that's just the first three. And then like there's one, obviously, Do What You Like, uh, which is probably my favourite track out of this album. Uh, is eight minutes pushing nine. Uh, the next one, uh, which is uh, oh wait, no, the one in the middle of that uh, eleven track eleven is a uh, sex pack itself. The title track is seven minutes, um, and yeah, it's just uh, and there's a lot of like small ones in between. It's just crazy how like disjointed from a time perspective this album is. It's very, it's very disorientating, um, and this is kind of why I like it in some ways because from a his- as a historical text to get really geeky with you guys is a historical text um this is like really reminiscent of like a bygone era it really is a relic in that way uh i do not mean that uh, negatively it just from a just a pure uh interesting it's just i just find it interesting of how uh different this can be compared to something like a modern day album um, this wouldn't fly for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if your first tracks are six minutes, first three tracks are six minutes, that's an EP. <laughs> people are gonna make that an EP, right? They're just gonna, like, all right, that's cool, that's cool, that's an EP right there, right? Um, and this this comes across. Uh, you can connect this to something like uh, like any jazz record. Um, I, I think uh, as someone that listens to jazz records still um, in this day and age, uh, it's 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 not too it's not it's not too much difference um and uh obviously uh modern jazz hasn't really split apart from past jazz as this particular hip hop album has split uh from uh, a modern day hip hop album it just fascinates me so much um but as an album itself uh, as uh, content wise um i really just enjoy the fun of it i love the sampling that's just all over the place um, this really comes across, and I'm again going to say this for the first three projects, and I'm going to make a split um, after that, uh, I'll make that known, is that um, there's a really, there's a DJing element to this. It's, it's, it's obviously produced, right, as every album is, right, but there's such a DJ element to this. It's just like like a, a um, an imp- improvised element you know what i mean it just it, some of it just comes off as like yeah i'm just gonna throw this in just because <laughs> it, it, it's it's so it's so weird it's really disorientating at first um but once you get into it and once you actually get out of it and like listen to something different you kind of miss it in some ways where you're just like i want to be kept on my toes and that's kind of what i get from especially sex packets it's just it really keeps you on your toes you have no idea what's coming next you have no idea if it's just this is just an extended outro or you know it's just a it's just bridging to something different like do what you like um which i want to get into that song a little bit um which I, I i find the reason why i like that track so much is because of the commentary as we were talking about with the radio stuff I find it a commentary on like radio at the time where 
literally in the middle of the song, they just straight up tell, straight up tell you um, the listener and I guess whoever you know if, if there's a radio DJ that wants to play this, um, <laughs> they literally go, hey, uh, you know you can stop the track here uh, if you're if you're uh, a radio DJ, stop the track here. Uh, h- hang on, we'll give you the fade. Here we go. Here's the fade. <laughs> and literally just do the job for them and then they come back and just go okay now if you listen to the album enjoy the rest it's it, it's just great i just find it really uh ingenious in some way uh and yeah i've just never heard something like that where they're literally just like in your face commenting on something that you know happens that uh you know obviously has been kind of curbed these days by the radio edit um and you know some songs i feel you know it's fine with the radio edit some some not um but yeah i just i love the uh i love the kind of breaking of the fourth wall in some aspects of it i I just love that element to it yeah i mean hmm. i mean it's just the parody side like it's the comedy side it's like that's what i like about digital underground so much like they didn't take themselves too seriously but at the same time they were very serious you know but like it's really the kind of humor that I really, really love is like dry humor or really cartoonish humor where it's going to piss a lot of people off and they're just going to be like, okay, what the fuck? Like, I don't get this. So if we look at Sex Packets, you know, 1990 was a, was a kind of wild time for hip hop music. Like we had Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, Queen Latifah, Das FX. Sex Packets could arguably vie for the weirdest mainstream drop from 1987 to probably... Dr. Octogynecologist in 1996. Like, it's a long period of time, but I feel like Sex Packers, I can't think of an album in the mainstream weirder than this album. The first first part of this is that, as Charlie said, the song length is six and a half minutes average when you remove the interludes. And then we get the lyrics of Humpty Dance, and like, he says, I once got busy in a Burger King bathroom. People say, you're Humpty, <laughs> you're really funny looking. That's all right, because I get things cooking. And this boy is like, oh, yes, ladies, I'm really being sincere because in a 69, my humpty nose will tickle your rear. My nose is big. I'm not ashamed. Big like a pickle. I'm still getting paid. <laughs> I just can't. This guy is hes funny. Like, Shokji is really fucking funny. And sometimes I feel like it goes over their head a little bit, man. Like, I don't understand. I don't know. But they even have a song on here entitled Packet Reprise. So the whole thing oh, is about it. sex packets, and then they have love a song it. called Packet Reprise. It's the only song named Packet Repri- Reprise on Spotify. So uh, <laughs> do what you like became put- a party anthem, man. Like Shokji explained that this was a feeling he had making the record as as wanting to break all the rules. You know, he said that he wanted to he wanted to bite other people's lyrics. He wanted to talk about stuff no one else would touch. He wanted to put on words that didn't rhyme with each other. And it's a really great song. And the album is is born of live performance. You know, they were opening up for Queen Latifah and EPMD and they would cart their equipment around with them everywhere they went. But they said it taught them the value of live performance. It's just amply apparent on this album. Shock G called this album Psychedelic Space Funk. And he said that this is what Prince would sound like if you use samplers. Now, the crazy thing about the album, uh, Smooth, who was a singer, he wanted to create the sex packs so that astronauts could have sex in space. So he wanted the government to fund it, and the idea being that the astronaut could dream, manifest the object of their desire in their dream, and have sex. 
So they actually laid a trap for audiences to believe in it. It reminded me of um, when the Beatles did the Paul is dead thing. And like there was this conspiracy theory that Paul McCartney had died and they like hid little messages like on at the end of I Am the Walrus, you know, or number nine and you played it backwards and it was like Paul is dead. So Shock G said about this this sex packet thing, he says, this is how, this is this is what I love. When you commit to the joke, you've, you've got to commit to it. And when you do it, it's just glorious because it's a risk, right? It's always a risk committing to the joke. It might not be funny. But he says, we started studying the properties of ecstasy and LSD and what all the jargon was. We created a story where there was a professor at Stanford University who designed sex packets for astronaut travel so they could be sexually satisfied. The name of it was GSRA, which stood for Genetic Suppression Release Antidote. We created this story that a powerful drug leaked into the streets of San Francisco, and it was called Sex Packets on the Street. Then on top of that, we went to Kinko's and made a serious-looking pamphlet on how to use sex packets because it was dangerous and it was fucking people up. <laughs> Bro, who's done that in the history of hip-hop? No one has done that shit. It's just like pioneering. So, yeah, man, the album was a commercial hit. It went number 24 on the Billboard 200s, platinum. And the Humpty Dance went number 11 on the Hot 100, which is very, very high, very high. Uh, the group said they weren't ready for it, but they were happy to accept the success. So it was pretty amazing, man. Like it was, uh, it was a moment, you know, it was a real moment. Yeah. Um, moving on, uh, I, we will get the sons of the P in a sec, but I just yeah, want to yeah. give a shout to this is an EP release. Yeah, I'm glad uh, you in to the talk same, about yeah. yeah, in the, in, in the, I, I, I just want to quickly mention it because obviously it has a same song uh, on the uh, on there, which obviously is the first time anybody hears uh, Tupac. Yes, um, and yeah, it's just a it, it's just a wonderful track. I just really enjoy that stuff, and uh, obviously, time the knot is a very, <laughs> very fascinating. Uh, just with the dun dun dun, dun it's just oh, it's just so it's like it's like great corny. It's like corny but funny. It's just glorious uh and yeah man i just wanted to give that shout it's in similar and similar to uh, uh ice cubes killer wheel because uh, it's just a superb ep um but yeah uh, sons of the p um i obviously the uh the two most popular tracks is uh, no nose job and kiss you back and uh in terms of uh kiss you back especially i feel like that particular track comes off for me as like uh humpty dance part two um and also gives me like really, uh, it really gives me like rem- it's like reminiscent of like other tracks um, I've heard around that time. Uh, really gives me like a De La Soul's "Me Myself and I" uh, kind of uh, kind of vibes on there because they just both have these like um, and and there's a couple of songs uh, uh, there's a couple of songs that have those kind of uh, that sound similar uh, to those particular tracks. But I just wanted to mention. Uh, De La Soul especially because I just feel like that was the closest um, comparison to it but yeah I feel like lyrically it has it's so, it's so I don't know it's so innocent in some ways like just starting off with that shimmy shimmy coco pop it's just <laughs> it sounds like something that should be like it, it sounds like kids bop like <laughs> it, it, it sounds like it should be kids bop um, but you know, uh, uh, but then you actually, you know, get into the song. It, it probably isn't, you know, uh, uh, be- best for a, 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 a ki- kids bop. If you, if you guys have ever uh, ever listened to that stuff, because uh, where where where's he um where's he say it? Uh, something like uh, 
I just, he just says some crazy shit all of a sudden, yeah. If you play with my feet, I'll tickle your tummy. Uh, I don't know why that just makes me... Oh, oh, that's so... <laughs> Fuck. I'll tickle your... T- it's just the way he says it, I'll tickle your tummy. It's just oh, it's so... Ugh, ugh. No, please don't, please don't. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, No Nose Job is so... That, that's just perfect from like a, like a half skit, half track kind of song one of those i just finish it off with like uh just the image of like uh humpty being a fucking uh pinned down and he's like no no don't, don't take my nose it's just so funny it's like no wait it's so funny it's so great uh i i just really enjoyed it um, as for the whole album uh you know it has that uh length uh thing going on again um which i which i've obviously mentioned but um yeah you know DFLO, DFLO Shuttle uh, was really, really fun. I like that one. Sons of the P, which has George Clinton in it, which um, I'm, that must have been a really, uh, um, that must have been a real highlight moment, uh, a lifetime moment for that uh, for them lot, uh, to have George Clinton on that front. Um, but yeah, man, I, I I do enjoy this album. I feel like um, it is shorter. Obviously, nobody, uh, well, shorter in terms of tracks. It's, it's just a nip that in the bud uh it is 11 tracks uh so you know obviously not exactly um it's more uh it, it, it gets more into like jazz territory in terms of just like you know here, here's just like really long tracks uh just really makes you really sit down with it and i kind of like that it forces this really forces you to sit down with the sound uh which i kind of like uh obviously a lot of, a lot of music doesn't try to do that anymore um they just try and uh, i guess uh you know appeal to the attention span of of these days but um yeah super sample heavy uh it's like a lot of funkadelic a lot of parliament uh sliner family stone stevie wonder real throwbacks real throwback samples um and yeah man it's just a really i like the album it's a solid album i really enjoyed it yeah, no, I agree. I just want to yeah quickly talk about this as an EP very very quickly. So Tommy Tommy Boy wanted them it. to drop another project immediately after their first project, but Shock G said that he couldn't, so they shuffled out this EP. Uh, it was used in a Dan Aykroyd movie, and it introduced Tupac to the world. And uh, yeah, it was really amazing. So Shock G said that Tupac was never their dancer; he was one of their roadies because that's always a you know it's always a thing that goes around that that. Park was a dancer before he became a rapper. He did dance occasionally, backup dance for them, but he was mainly their roadie. So they met through Antron, who was the guy who got them signed, and Park became their label mate. And Antron felt like Tupac was going to leave the label. So he actually asked Digital Underground to take him on tour with them, which they did. And Shokji actually said he felt bad because he was asking Tupac to be a roadie when he was clearly an MC. But Tupac was happy to help. And actually, the funny story is that Shokji's mum said that Tupac was going to be a star. She said she saw him rhyme, and she said, watch him. He has that quality. He looks like a star. And yeah, man, so the rest is history. But with regards to Sons of the P, this is is the George Clinton album. So along comes George Clinton, and as Shock G said, he had he had cocaine boogers and all, and he was he was always, he had cocaine everywhere all over him. He said just, he'd, you'd think they'd run out of cocaine, and George Clinton would pull another packet out of his out of his shoe. It was crazy. So he helped guide the sound of the project. Shock G said they originally asked him to appear in the video for Humpty Hump Dance, 
but he wasn't able to. So when they were crafting their second album, they wanted to show love to P-Funk. And Shokji called them the Beatles of Funk, you know, which is you know, it's not, not, a, not, not inaccurate. So they got in contact yeah. and, and George Clinton agreed. And Shokji's words on here were really fascinating. He says, We did gold on Sons of the P, which wasn't bad. But I started to calculate that Humpty formula on songs such as No Nose Job, Kiss You Back, and on the next album with Return of the Crazy One. Unfortunately, it wasn't as good. You could hear it. That's when I realized that I didn't know what I did on Sex Packets that made it connect with people on such a huge level. So, you know, he even tells the story of trying to get George Clinton into a video, and Tommy Boy told Digital Underground, it's not hip-hop. To which Shock G replied, since when have we only been hip-hop? You know, and Sons of the yeah. P really gave me the idea that they recognized what set them apart on their de- debut and they tried to triple down on it. It did feel a little bit like they were trying to create what they had already created. Whereas on Sex Packets, they just kind of went ballistic. And what it reminded me a lot of was Tribe Called Quest Journey. You know, the first album was just total free form pot of ideas, second album was a distillation of that sound. You know, the title track on here is a nine minute epic and. Again, like it's like six, seven minutes average song. Like the huge interludes at the end of these songs, it honestly felt like a real attempt to recreate that energy from their first album, the, the jam band energy. And I think the final track kind of riffs on this. So it's a story from Shock G's alter ego about being a pimp. And the hook is, it's a good thing that I'm rapping because if it wasn't for the rapping, I'd be macking. But I also feel like they're making mm. the point that it's lucky they rap on this album or they'd be kind of cast off into the funk discard bin. Because at the Mm. time, you know, funk was not at the top of the charts the way it used to be. And you hear Mm -hmm. Shock G talk about Digital Underground, he always mentions their commercial achievements when he talked about them. Now, I'm not sure if that's by choice or just by coincidence, but I felt like it was important for them to stay commercially viable. Now, the album did that, you know. Uh, There's there's no doubt about that, but... um, yeah, man, the sex bars on here are totally crazy as well. <laughs> They're even worse than the next, <laughs> and the next album. But the social, con- socially mm-hmm. conscious message underpins everything that isn't comedy. Like no, no nose job does sound like a par- a parody, but it's an incredible piece. Like it's an incredibly diverse, deep piece, and that was the brilliant of Digital Underground. Like there were so many things all of the time. They genuinely were. They they were everything at all times. You know, as he would say later, it was like he was doing like two or three or four different voices and alter egos on every album and all the time. It was always high quality and uh yeah, this album was high quality. Yeah, yeah, it was um yeah, definitely uh definitely high class uh, produced album. Um <clears throat> so the body hat syndrome. <laughs> uh, what's a body hat, Charlie? <sighs> Shut up. You you could say that if you want. Um, I'm just gonna continue on my day. Um, yeah. Uh, seventy four minutes. Um, this one is like I think the peak. Uh, I I would say the peak. I don't I don't want to say creatively like for because that sounds a bit broad to say. Uh, just like it's the creative peak. Um, but this is just like really, uh, it's really, I, I think I find it like essential, uh, DU in some, in a lot of ways. Uh, it has the, it has the comedy, has the sex bars and it's not, and I'm saying this as if the others didn't have any of this, 
But I just feel like because this uh, album is nearly 75 minutes and it really just sits with every single thing it does, um, it really gives off like an essential listen vibe for me. Um, You know, do woo you. It sounds, um, it just comes off so disco-y in a lot of ways. Uh, The Humpty Dance Awards is a fascinating track. I've never heard something of that nature where it's just like Humpty and Tupac kind of like hosting this thing and then it just basically bleeds into uh, every shout out to the artist of uh, sampled Humpty, Humpty Dance before 93. I just find that really, again, really intuitive, uh, uh, intuitive? ingenious, that's the word. Uh, yeah, it's just really smart <laughs> that's just a really smart thing to do like you know encapsulating it in like an awards things like thank you to everybody it's just like a uh just one of them like a uh slideshows you see uh before every um like a hype tape like a hype tape of like a basketball player or um or like a a hype tape of uh you know when a an, a movie award show comes through and they just show like uh, they have like a live performance and they show clips from all the you know uh, award uh, uh, nominated movies and it looks so banging it's just like the music just slaps yeah it just it just comes across as that it's really fascinating i've just never heard something like that paying homage to people that have paid homage you know what i mean i've just never seen i've just never heard that kind of thing before it's really interesting um uh dopadelic i really love uh, it's a hot track for me digital lovers really <laughs> Alright, let me get the let me get the uh let me get the uh lyrics to Judah Love because there was one bit that really just threw me the fuck off and I was just like laughing out loud. Absolutely crease. Um What's up with the love? It was really uh that was really different. I didn't really see that coming because it was very um uh what's the word? Uh it was very conscious. Um obviously there's a two pack uh uh, uh verse on there. And, uh, yeah, it's just really, they were talking about a lot of uh, deep shit as well. And it was really, really odd in a, in, in a way, because uh, the next track is Digital Lover, which, um, as I'm about to uh, give you, uh, a lot of it is just, like, them saying, uh, and again, this is kind of like one of those really DJ DJ tracks, where it's just, like, them everyone's saying, you need a Digital Lover, Digital Lover. And then Humpty Hump comes in with, you need a Biblical Brother. And it's just, like, you know, different things that is coming in. And then, <laughs> then right in the middle, Klee goes, uh, you need a love less digital. And then Humpty comes straight back with, you need a tuna fish sandwich. <laughs> like, why, bro? Why do, Why did she need a tuna fish sandwich? This is, this is fucking funny. I just love it. It just came out of nowhere. I did not see it coming. It's just, it's just glorious. Um, I want to get into what's up with the love uh, as uh, as pertains to the uh, the uh, lyrics of it. You know, now men want racism, blacks and black folks in prison. Me bar. Uh, what's going on with the lo- lo- uh, of? Boot your car. It's a sound. Brothers going down in the worst way. I got my son a gun for his birthday. Uh, let's find this two pack uh, verse. Goddamn drug dealers d into the kiddies living in the city. Ain't no pity on the itty bitty. We try to cry, but they still all die. Uh, but uh, still they all die. I try to speak to the youth and the truth is they all high. 
What can I say but watch your back, youngster, as I sit and wonder my other brother's steadily steadily going under. It's like a curse and it hurts because it's worse. Mama's crazy because her baby's in a hearse. What's up with the love? Like, that's deep. That's really deep. And compared to the rest of the album, it just really sticks out um, in a lot of ways. Uh, And, uh, you know... I could mention stuff like Shake and Bake and uh, Jerk It Circus, um, which is the most masturbatory track I've ever heard in my fucking life. Um, I can't. I, I just can't. Like, literally, like, you know, when Bro. you say masturbatory, normally you're like, wow, this, this guy's really jerking himself off. But no, on this set, no, they, yeah, they, they're exactly, jerking yeah. themselves off. Like, <laughs> Bro, like... <laughs> no body hat required absolutely... when you're jerking yourself off, man. <laughs> is absolutely like fucking crazy man like it, it jerk it circus late in your palm and you don't need a condom <laughs> jerk it circus yeah gonna get mine and have a nutty nutty time in the <laughs> jerk it circus fly girl swingers learn to use the a finger at the jerk it circus <laughs> no more sticking time that we choke the chicken it's just the way they say choke the just choke that chicken is so Oh my nasty. god, it's so obscene sometimes. It's, oh, nasty. it's so in your face. I fucking love it. It's just oh man, and yeah. Shake and Bake is another one I'd uh, highly recommend as well as a listen. But yeah, I've, I've gone too long. Let me just kill it there because wow, this album is just <laughs> fucking vulgar. It's a wild album. <laughs> in the best way. It's so wild. <laughs> I'm going to blow Tommy Boy up via, via Shock G's words first to start off on a, on a different thing, but I will get okay. to the vulgarity. So Shock G said Tommy Boy was sending songs back to us because there wasn't enough Humpty on the album. We kept telling them that we didn't want to tell Mm. the same joke over and over, but Tommy Boy felt it was our bread and butter. At one point, they interrupted me while I was talking and said, Shock, listen, we want some funny Humpty songs or you and Money B on some sex shit. That's what Digital Underground is, and that's what you're good at. Write some songs about female body parts like Sir Mix-A-Lot. Now, I want to make this very clear in this episode. Digital Underground were initially pitched as a militant, political, and socially conscious group. Now, the only Mm -hmm. reason they decided to add humor was because of the success of Public Enemy, but that in no way reduced their fire or their message. So I've seen a lot of people talk, and and so the more I... I, Because obviously, I, I hadn't really listened to a lot of Digital Underground prior to this episode and prior to Shock G's passing. But one of the things that I saw a lot in conversation after the passing of Shock G that is now starting to maybe rile me up a little bit is the political and socially conscious message was rarely spoken about. It was the comedy and the Humpty, you know, that was the main like vessel of conversation. And it frustrated me a little bit because, you know, Shock G was really switched on and passionate. And to see only his alter ego Humpty mentioned all the time was a little bit weird to me. You know, I really think people miss the the message of of Digital Underground. So when Shock G told the label they were making What's Up With The Love with Tupac, they didn't want it. The label didn't want it because of the political content. And that song is one of the best in their entire discography. Some genuinely harrowing tales on that. So the goal of this album became to create something the audience would love but Tommy Boy hated. So what they had to do was they had to toe the line between giving the fans the formula that made them famous and that Tommy Boy wanted, but piss the label off at the same time. So the centerpiece in this was the opening track, Return of the Crazy One, 
which is one of the greatest songs they ever made. Now, Shock G said he knew that was going to be the first single, so he went absolutely bonkers on it. So here are come with some of the lyrics. Come with the lyrics. It's fucking Freudian slip. So he says, <laughs> Lick, lick, let me lick, smell. Let me smell the flavor and taste the behavior. I'm not the biz, but if I was to pick a booger, it'd be a big, fat, gooey, gold-plated loogie. Or speaking of hankies, I like hanky-panky, especially when the hanky-panky stanky. This one is a, I like to chew bubble gum, make them laugh when I'm loving them. I blew a bubble and some bubble yum, got caught up in the booty, thought it was the end of her. Gabriella needed an enema, so I put away the broom and we broke out the vacuum. Oh my oh god. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. Holy <laughs> shit. They're saying this on wax. Like, I couldn't even think of this shit. This is some depraved <laughs> shit they're talking about. So, that's what Shock G wanted to do. He's like, this is the first single. Let, they want Humpty. This is, I, I think this is a fucking great move. This is a real boss move. It's like, you want Humpty? All right, let's quadruple down on this shit. Let's sit down and write the most nasty, depraved shit we can think of. Let's have a song called Jerk It Circus on here. Let's just talk about jerking off all the time. And that's what they did. And it was so glorious, man. It's like they oscillated wildly between socially conscious and total inane depravity. Even a video for the first single was too hardcore for anyone to play it. They actually had to redo the whole video so that MTV could play it. And it worked. The album did poorly. And they actually got dropped. They had a seven-album deal with Tommy Boy, and Tommy Boy dropped them because of the 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 uh, success of this album was not as what it was on the previous two. I don't see it as a bad album at all. Honestly, I love it. I think it's glorious the way they oh, hell no. they totally leaned into their impulses and created something totally crazy. That's what gave me, you know, that's probably why I don't like uh, their second album as much as their first. Because their first was just like, let's just do whatever, man. It doesn't matter. And the second, as Shock G said, like try and catch what they ca- they caught on that first album. This one mm. has just felt like they just, again, just threw all the toys out of the cot. They're like, fuck this shit, man. Let's just make the craziest shit we can make. Like mm. no no uh, attempt to create a commercial sound. No, no, nothing. Like just go all out. And they did. And what a wild album this is. If you've never listened to this album, bro, you've got to put this fucking album on because, like, in five minutes you'll be laughing and then you'll be crying and then you'll be laughing. It's just, it, it is one of the most unique hip-hop albums in the history of hip-hop. There's just, I can't even praise it enough, man. This is a, the the bravery to put this out is, is mad intense and I'm always going to support someone who's pissing off the major label system. So, Shout out to Digital Underground on this, man. What, a, what an album that was. Fuck. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, just to say, uh, we're pushing for time, but uh, obviously we're going to get into the last three. Uh, but just uh, I, I would like to say a bit quicker. Um, and the the split I wanted to make between the first three albums and uh, the next three albums, obviously you mentioned a bit of it, which is the fact that Tommy Boy dropped them straight after the body hair. Yeah. Um, but at the same at the same token, um, it's worth mentioning uh, that you know it, it, it the next album was in '96, and that is well deep into uh, you know the fact that sampling uh, you know mm-hmm. became a bit harder to come by, and obviously the first three albums and kind of any everything that was digital underground in my mind came off as like 
similar to like Public Enemy, uh, where obviously they were very sample heavy. Uh, you did it in obviously the complete opposite way. Um, but as much as much sampling as uh, as those guys did, um, I feel uh, there was just constant uh, constant things going on. Obviously, with the first three albums, but uh, with the new rules that we've uh, obviously did an episode of uh, uh, a few months ago um, in response to uh, the uh, Tribal Quest uh, episode that we did. So if you want to go peep those. Um, but yeah, we get to Future Rhythm, uh, which is just completely different, like mm-hmm. in a c- completely different. And, um, you know, I just feel like there was, uh, they they missed it. They really missed like the, the the freedom i think in a lot of ways i'm not sure how you know hard it was for them to like you know uh make the record without label support right i i i'm not gonna bother you know speculating on that but i definitely think that the the new rules of sampling and all that stuff really hindered them uh in in this particular album um and i think the next two they kind of uh you know grew with it uh, but this one just seemed, uh, I don't know. Like, obviously, the features are clean. You know, got Del Funky, I'm Sapien on here. Got Looney's on here as well. And that particular song we got more was on the uh, Don't Be a Menace to South Central while drinking juice in the hood. Uh, classic, uh, classic film. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's really different in a lot of ways. It comes, it, I, I don't know, it comes as across to me as just like uh, a forced uh being forced to uh what's the word uh conform to what everyone else is doing like it's west coast right it comes across as a west coast album right um and it has obviously this you know futuristic uh element to some of it um but yeah it just comes across as like another west coast album and not like another du album if that's what if that's if that makes sense um which is kind of disappointing but uh yeah it, it is what it is you know what i mean they have to ha- had to evolve and i feel like they just missed uh they missed a lot um not in terms of like they missed but they they were missing um they were wanting of uh i guess uh, the stuff that they used to have and i feel like they had to uh compromise a lot uh, for this album, that's just me and how it comes off it, listening to it. I'm not sure if that's the case, um, but yeah, so mm, I don't know. So it's a it's, it's, it's an interesting album in uh, in in some ways, but uh, disappointing in, in in another. Yeah, it's a bit weird because you know, obviously they were off Tommy Boy and they kind of had a license to do whatever they wanted. And as ironic as it is, considering they were on a rap label prior, this feels more like you know, more hip hop than their previous joints. There are genuine four, four bar loops on here and it feels quite contemporary in a way that they didn't prior. It's still really mm. experimental and out there, but even a song like Style and there are huge G-Funk vibes to them. And, you know, I as Charlie said earlier, like I don't want to gloss over their con- contribution to G-Funk. This was something I didn't know. I honestly didn't know. You know, Shock G said he helped inspire Dr. Dre add more funk to his production. And he said the Digital Underground was saying, George Clinton's catalog was the new James Brown catalog in the late 80s. So I didn't even know of their contribution to G-Funk, but it was it was immense. And um, we got genuine rap features on here, you know, Del the Funky Homo Sapien, Loonies. 
Uh, Loonies came about after Shock G had a few songs on Operation Stakola, and when the time came for a remix to I Got Five on it, Loonies asked Shock G to rap, and he did. And that actually came about via their two-part connection. So I don't have a lot to say about this album. It's it's not my favorite. Um, I think Midnight Snack is an example of why. They tried a lot on here, and and they really tried to take it in a new and interesting direction, and I think a lot of it missed. You know, I think the more electronic stretches didn't quite do it for me. And, you know, whilst I loved the more hip-hop direction, I missed the real free-form experimentation on every song that they had prior. And I think this was the beginning of a new era for Digital Underground, and as we would see as they got got in their next two albums, they started to really tighten the sound that they attempted to create on this album up. And I think um, it got better and better as they progressed over the next two albums. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Who Got the Gravy, obviously, in the next one. Um, uh, just, just, I mean, firstly, album cover, so much happening. <laughs> um <laughs> a lot happening uh with that particular album cover uh very fascinating uh very worthy of like a museum just to see people uh you know just do that thing where they stand there and just go what do you think the artist is saying with this <laughs> i would i'd love to have people do that kind of thing um yeah uh so you know like like you said i think um they uh you know continue evolving uh with this new uh uh, new uh, situation they have been they have been left with with obviously rules they they had no say in and obviously the uh, independent uh, lane of it um, but you know this comes across uh, as much more uh, as much tighter and comes you know with a bit more there's a little bit more uh, uh, you know of the, of the of the classic du in here I would say. Uh, uh, man's girls interesting uh blind mice i i, I didn't mind obviously big pun and biz oh, bismarcky old couple that's a fascinating track uh as a uh, how did they not collab before this like it's this is perfect this is a perfect collab <laughs> like na- <laughs> name a better collab than this honestly like this is this is absolute perfection let me get these lyrics up right quick because this is great um because obviously Bismarcky has his, has his own very childish uh, comedic elements to his music. Uh, uh, Humpty Dumpty had a fight with his mom's. Uh, he broke her. He broke both her legs and both her arms. Tiny bold man tried to throw a fit. I told his podcast he was full of shh. Shut your mouth, Biz. So you're always trying to make, take it further. I heard you bit a burger with a funky worm in it. A higher place, a higher player sued because you didn't clear the sample. And Lordy Lord, now they got you pushing hot dogs. It's just great. Like the the uh, Tupac was the only one that was living large, and Humpty your nose, your nose is a two <laughs> is a two car garage. I know you got a soul. I heard you don't eat pussy, but you eat booty hole. <laughs> Bro, read read Humpty's bit then after that about the vertical smile. You got to read that. Uh, well, uh, is it straight after or? Uh, I think it's on? the next I'm verse. To... Hang hang about. Let me try. Let me try and find the record. He goes. I'll I'm... I'll read it. I got it here. He says, "No, my I'll nose be in the it. booty. Oh, my tongue be in a vertical <laughs> smile. <laughs> I heard your sister had sex with Goma Pile." <laughs> What were they on that day? What were they on uh, it's that just, day? This is perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And uh, uh, I, I've looked up uh, Goma Pile because uh, I felt like I needed to. <laughs> and uh, yep, that checks out. That 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 checks out. Yeah, that's good. Yep, that's that's great comedy. That's a so, bar. So yeah, man, just it's a, it's a bar. And yeah, I just love the back and forth. Like there's n- there's no 
there's no better back and forth than these two going off right now. It's this absolutely wonderful track. And yeah, it's kind of, um, it's a real bright spot in this album. Uh, an album that I feel, uh, you know, is still trying to get to uh, the quality and the explorative nature of the first three. Um, doesn't really get there, but, uh, you know, it, it, it stands on its own two feet, I would say that, uh, with good features and, uh, you know, just good sounds. But, yeah, that uh, that, that song is just... Uh, that song is worth the price of admission, uh, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, this album... This album was super hip hop. Uh, Keras One, Big Pun, Bismarcky, Mystic, all the features of Fire here. You know, Bismarcky's back and forth was just legendary. Uh, we even got socially conscious bars on that song. And I feel like this is the joy of this album. You know, Shock G going back and forth with legends. How would he sound alongside Keras One? Well, you got it, you know? So, like, I don't know, man. Even even on Cyber Teeth, like, he, he says, the real killer chilling in the white. I mean, not the right house. They want me to be their lab white mouse, the smile of seedy greedies, depriving the needy, break treaties, overseas while and while they profile on the TVs. Like this was this was it, man. This was it. So yeah, I, the, the the thing that interests me most about the, this album was the story of the features. So they were just people showing love. So their last two albums didn't do so well, right? Now Shock G tells the story of KRS one turning up to the studio and blowing his mind giving them heaps to work with and not charging much in response. So this is what Shock G said. We were going to give him $10,000 just to appear on a song. KRS-One goes into the booth and proceeds to lay so many things. When it got to three songs, I was like, man, I don't know if we can afford much more than the ten grand." And he goes, what? Shock, I'm not here for that. I'm here to make your album tight. And that was the thing. Shock G said the same thing with Big Pun came in for the exact same reason. And he said that Big Pun's food actually showed up to the studio before Big Pun did, which I found very interesting. (laughs) So the group thought that this would be the final DU album, right? And I found this quote fascinating. I'm telling my manager and everybody, stop making me do digital underground albums. It was a different time in hip hop. The music wasn't bad. It was actually good. It was just that people wanted Jay-Z right now. And I wasn't mad at that, so I left it alone. Now... Tribe Called Quest, Lauren Hill, Queen Latifah, MC Light, they all dipped out of hip-hop around this time. Gangsta mm. Rap was continuing its ascent up the charts, and to be fair, it was really only Outkast who was doing the heavy lifting for the weirdos at this point. You know, even even mm. Soulquarians, you know, it wasn't like Common was doing anything stupidly experimental. So Digital Underground and Tribe were, and they both left the game this year for extended periods of time. And I found that mm. so fascinating, so fascinating. Mm. It's kind of like the absolute end of the era. You know, it really was. And D-Lar, of course, kept going. But at the same time, it just wasn't the same, you know. And yeah, ah, I just found that really fascinating that they both left at this exact same time. Both, you know, kind of spiritual... Uh, siblings i guess with regards to sampling and regards to experimental and regards to taking hip-hop in a different direction and yeah they both left the same year i found that really fascinating yeah i want to i want to uh elaborate on that uh just uh that notion uh because i do find that really interesting the fact you said that and i didn't really think about that um that connection but that is really fascinating. But um, just for the last album, uh, which dropped in 2008, because uh, a DU party don't stop. Um, this is a really interesting album in one case. And for me, it's the fact that halfway through, it kind of turns into like a live album. 
Like, I'm not sure if it's, you know, genuinely live, but, like, it, it just... Like, you hear people in the background for, like, just a few tracks. Like, it, it, it continues um, for, for out a few tracks in, in the middle. And I just found that really interesting uh, of how they just uh, switched it up and made it like that. I really, I really like that. It was a real... Um, so I'm just trying to see. <coughs> Fuck, you know, that was deep. Oh, you know, it's just like deep in the back, and you're just like trying to bring it up. Whoa, that was that was a release. All right. <sighs> yeah, the fact that it was um, it sounded live in the set in, in the in the middle of the album, and kind of just, uh, I I just find it an interesting choice. I really want to know why that choice was made because it it comes across really abruptly. Um, like, you have it, and then you don't have it, it just disappears after a few tracks, it's just really weird, I just, I just found that really interesting about this particular album, uh, past that, I think, uh, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it definitely was, wasn't, uh, like anything that was being made in 2008, that's for sure, uh, which kind of, uh, harps on the, uh, times are a changing kind of way of, uh, of this, and, um, you know, apart from maybe, like, Apart from maybe like, I mean, Snoop Dogg, mate, that's the only person I could think of that has actually like continued to, obviously, you know, funk elements in hip hop haven't really, you know, gone and there can be, you know, you can find mentions throughout the years, but like, uh, I know that Snoop worked, I think he did an album with Parliament uh, a couple of years ago, uh, or just, yeah, yeah, I think he I think he did, or just um, they had some influence in there. Uh but yeah, apart from him, apart from Snoop, I can't really think of anybody that was still doing this kind of music. Um, and Snoop just, I, I feel, just did it for fun, right? Just because just he could. Same with, you know, all the other stuff he's done over the past decade, where it's just like, I'm going to do a reggae album. Why not? Um, but yeah, this is, um, you know, it's... it's uh, it's not it's not the best right and i i don't i wouldn't say it's like you know recommended listening um i feel like every you know every album's worth a listen in some ways uh for whatever reason you never know you might enjoy it but uh yeah i just like the the middle part of just how it turns into just like this i don't know like a live cypher sesh i i i find that really fascinating and kind of harks back in some ways to the um you know to the long form uh elements that they had at the start of their career, uh, uh, start of their group career, um, of just having these, you know, really elongated outros and you know people just talking and skits as the songs just tapering off, it, it kind of gave me, it, it kind of, it was reminiscent of that, and I and I liked that. It was it was a nice little, um, uh, nice little twist on like a. Uh, a twisty callback, I would say, <laughs> if that makes any sense. A, twi- a twisty callback, but yeah, it's an okay album. Yeah, I mean, here's here's the reasoning behind this album. In in Shock G's words, he said people would tell me they missed Digital Underground. They would even be these DU compilations of shit that wasn't even supposed to come out. Finally, this one dude, Scott Thomas, calls. He's now CEO of Jake Records. He says, "I read online that you were broke and you're not having fun in the studio anymore. I think that's crazy." If you want to do something, I will invest in you. We ended up putting together some DU live material for one of our shows. The deal was if I gave him a few new songs, he will put the live songs out, which became because of DU Party Don't Stop. Scott really loves Digital Underground and thinks that we should never have ever stopped. We announced that it was going to be the last DU album. And 
you know, there was the Greenlight EP, but that was just outtakes. Um, this record was was legit, mainly recorded at a 2005 live show, which goes to explain how incredible their live performances were. You know, a lot of people compared DU to acts like the Grateful Dead just because they just toured endlessly worldwide and they kept touring. And the opening track is one of the wildest they ever dropped, man. It's like, I fucked her in the pee hole. Like, what the fuck are they talking about, man? <laughs> well, I don't even know anymore at this point with Digital Underground. So you never know what you're going to get. But the electronic on here is, is such a vibe, man. Like, who's bumping would have gone off at a live show? Think of all the poor people who dropped acid and ketamine at the Digital Underground show and then found themselves in the middle of a fucking electronic rave. Now, that is a funny fucking thought. Like, you think you're going to go and listen to some funk and you get some, like, hardcore, almost drum and bass shit. And I think this project goes a little bit too far in the weird direction. It's, it ends up being directionless. You know, I really do like that, of course. It's, it's my kind of music. And I remember when I was younger uh, and I was looking for kind of the wildest, weirdest music ever, I started at Frank Zappa and then trekked outward to find the edge of the map. And there was some wild stuff out there. Digital Underground would have been right in that, in that lane for me. Nowadays, I can appreciate it, but it does feel a little bit too spread out for me to drop repeat listens. So it's a good project, but, you know, it's just what you kind of expect from Digital Underground. It's kind of all over the place. And, um, yeah, man, it's it's the last project we ever got from them. So, yeah. Yeah, and uh, as worth uh, just mentioning uh, as a finish, uh, in terms of just, like, you know, Shock G's, like, just... uh, I don't know. I, I, I find it hard, Ben, and you already know this about me, that I I I am hesitant to collaborate sometimes. Um for reasons of which like uh I when when you have something in mind, when you have an idea, right, the more people that are in the in this idea and in with you you have to rely on them in some in some form, right? Unless you, there's no point of them being there, right? Um, and the fact that someone like Shock G, you have to account, you have to like realize that you have to be a special kind of personality to be able to get so many people on your shit and to buy into your shit. Uh, over like the past you know decade and then obviously 2008 right to have that is just outstanding to me um just that eye for talent of course i just putting on someone like tupac who became tupac like that's just an absolutely crazy just story to me and uh, i referenced on what's good last week that um you know the 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 moment in hip hop evolution, the Netflix series, uh, where Shock G talks about Tupac on one episode in one season, and then the next season they talk about the death of Tupac, and you know it's the same interview space when uh, because Shock G's in just the same kit, and the, the 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 emotion he had towards someone like Tupac was just absolutely you could feel it, and I feel and this is a complete guess but i just feel like someone like shock g with that kind of personality with that ability to have so many people over the years just come in as a rolling cast so to speak and just invest in your shit uh invest their skills and their time into your project um 
to, ha- to, to I, I just feel like he had to have cared about every single person uh, with an unequal measure. Now, obviously, we, he he would talk about Tupac because it's Tupac, right? But if it was someone else, I feel like he would talk about them in the same light with the same reverence. And that's just fascinating to me. Um, I just find Shock G as a person um, just absolutely unique, in, just on the face. Um, to, to have a career arc like that, um, to have such deep-rooted homage to uh, someone some something like Parliament, and Funkadelic, and just that movement that it was, um, and be so true to it, but yet be so explorative with it, it's just outstanding to me. Um, on top of the fact that it's some of the freakiest shit you can ever hear, and some of the funniest shit you'll ever hear on Wax, and that is just absolutely outstanding. Um, so, RP Shock G, man, is an absolute... Uh, it's been a privilege, honestly, just to listen to this part, listen to this music the past week. It's been utterly fascinating, um, and I just feel like it's one of those hip hop listens that people don't quite do for whatever reason. Um, they may listen to the same song, they may listen to the Humpty Dance, right? But bro, you guys need to. If I if I recommended anything anything for you guys to actually get on and just. It, just embrace this side of hip hop. I would pick this because you know a lot of the times you've you guys have heard you know your uh, of your Dre's and stuff like that. That's you know that's that's surface level, but this is like a real interesting cut, a real interesting fabric of hip hop and what it is today and what it has been over the years. And I just think it's a really important part of it that you guys should really sink your teeth into and learn about because it's been a real fascinating journey i must say yeah i mean all i have to to add to that because that was really well said is you know rarely do people speak of the influence of the group outside of the two-part connection but their contribution to hip-hop is immense you know the fusing of funk the comedy the socially conscious uh what du did was show exactly why and how hip-hop is the most diverse musical genre you could ever conceive it can be anything to anyone at any time oftentimes on the exact same song or, or 10 times on the same album and yeah man brilliant artists brilliant brilliant discography and uh r.i.p to an icon shock g yes sir and we shall leave it there uh and also uh bring it to a lighter note if you have anything man i don't really have anything this week do you do you by chance have anything we got uh there's going to be some progress i feel uh on on the everything this side uh we for the first time bit of news first time next week well this week as you guys listen there will be four 5 epm podcasts drop in um i'm going to interview uh just a part of my show what's good on thursday i'm going to put on uh shout to the homie home homie home homes <laughs> Is there a female version of Homie? No, there isn't. Uh, but shout out to Sean Pugh uh, coming through with Black Women Watch, uh, the first serial 5VPN original, and obviously the fourth 5VPN original overall. That's going to drop on Monday, so the day before you guys uh, have listened to this, uh, obviously the day before this drops. So please go v- give that a peep if you want to hear just a film podcast, um, something different different voice different vibe uh definitely from uh, everything we've done so far and i'm supremely proud to uh have ep'd that and not produce and not edit 
I didn't even edit. I just EP'd it. I just looked from above and gave her some good advice. She did it all by herself. And uh, I'm supremely proud of her for doing that. Um, and it's less on my plate. <laughs> I must say. It's, it's refreshing. Um, uh, Ben's obviously got some stuff coming through with the interviews. Um, he's testing out uh, some uh, visuals. So you guys can listen to that on YouTube. As well as the podcast on the ITD. Uh, we are going to do that incrementally. Uh, I don't know what day we're going to do. I haven't picked a day. But um, once it's all there. We're going to drop them uh, intermittently um, on one day and then keep going with original episodes, um, obviously every Tuesday, as we always do. We'll probably, we'll probably drop it on a Friday since that's the only weekday left. Ha <laughs> ha, gang gang. Um, that's the only weekday left that we have to fill right now on a weekly basis. Um, and yeah, uh, also 5 VPN Radio coming in the next couple of months. Uh, still working on that on the, on the behind the scenes. Um... And I'm getting some kit that will help me, uh, you know, uh, get into more stuff, uh, hopefully, uh, doing other things. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but uh, yeah, we'll see We'll see how that goes. But yeah, man, it's good stuff. Got some good progress going on. And uh, yeah, man, everything's, everything's moving forward in some way. Yeah, shout out to that. I'm really excited for everything that's going on at the moment. Um, it'll be interesting. I think being interviewing is, is hard, man. It's... um. I mean, it's, it, once you get in the groove of it, it's okay. But at first, it's like it's very confronting when you realize that you're the one who has to kind of manage the mood and, and the situation and kind of move the conversation along. It's like, oh, man, this is going to suck. But, yeah, man, I um, I think it's all going to be good. I th- I'm really excited to hear about the new podcast. So that will be dropping tomorrow my time, would it, or, or Tuesday my time then? Yeah, so it's dropping uh, Monday uh 1 p.m eastern time uh since she's in america i've I've judged it to her time uh so that's uh 6 p.m for me and what's that like 5 a.m for you something like that (laughs) so so yeah so uh so if you're in if you're an american base obviously it's more beneficial to you guys and uh you know if you guys in the uk you know we, we we know who listens uh you guys know your time zones hopefully um so yeah man it's uh 1 p.m eastern judge that by a time zone etc etc uh i'll be i'll be be sure to drop i'll be sure to drop links everywhere so it's all good what's the uh what's the first movie are you allowed to tell us or um yeah so well yeah since it's already dropped by this time um it's called prospects um it's a uh well her first season is sci-fi so all the films she's curated have uh, are sci-fi um and she's picked prospects uh which is a film that was made in 2018 if i'm not mistaken um, I haven't seen it myself, uh, but it's got like Pedro Pascal in it. Uh, some other, oh, I forgot other dude. There's another dude I know, but I, I forget his name. Um, I, I'll find it later anyway. But um, yeah, so it's a real, it's a real interesting film from how she's talked about it. Um, she goes really in depth with it and talks about you know the characters, production design, uh, the, uh, the just the overall story itself and how and how interesting it is. Uh, but yeah, man, it's a it's, yeah, she's just a real good commentary on that particular film. If you guys have seen haven't seen it. Um, according to her, it's a real underrated gem. Um, and uh, yeah, man, if you want, if you're looking for some good sci-fi, go Pete Prospect. And then after you see that, go Pete Black Women Watch, man. That's that's the vibe that we're going for. So another another podcast to add to the Fire VPN network. Yeah, there. Another one. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. You dick. <laughs>
<laughs> you know what? You know what? Props to you. That was a good. That was a good full circle moment. I'll leave it at that. That's perfect. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, on the Pippin Podcast Network, this has been Digging Into Jits. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Charlie Taylor of the Fifth Element. I've been Ben Carter of Hip Hop Numbers. You, 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 that, that was. <laughs> was that? Was that? Did you? Were you thinking of that? Like, just came that to me. Honestly, just cuff? came to me. Yeah. Respect, respect, respect. That was, that was good. I like that. I'm smiling. <laughs> Alright. Um. Hope you all have a good week. We should always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. Alright. Peace. Digging in Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show was edited by me. Music for the show is Pizza and Video Games by Bonus Points. Thanks to Joel Breckers for the ability to use. Socials for the fulfillment, people buying numbers, bonus points, and Joel Breckers will be in the full show notes wherever you're listening. This has been a fifth and podcast network production. Thanks for spending time with us. I wish I see you next time on Digging in Digits.